Jesus' name, we thank you so much again uh, for your presence being with us. Lord God, we know that you're always with us because the Holy Spirit indwells us. But Lord God, when we get that greatest sense of your presence, Lord, you touch our emotions as you uh, touch us deeply, Lord. We can sense you, uh, that the Spirit's presence has become so obvious, Lord God, that we can uh, cut that thickness with a, uh, with a knife, Lord. So we thank you, Lord God, for uh, entering this space today to be with your people. Lord God, uh, may you now uh, just enter into our hearts, and, and we pray that it would change us as you call us uh, to a higher plane from where we are to uh, a higher and a bigger, a greater place in Jesus Christ. This is our desire. We know it's yours, Lord. For some of us, Father, it is uh, a growing thing. We're just growing into it. But yet, Lord God, every inch that we grow, Lord God, we are just praying that it just glorifies your name. So, Father, we uh, put ourselves in your hand today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. If you've ever had a sore on your arm or a slight cut on your hand, uh, you typically would douse it with some type of germ killer and then uh, slap a Band-Aid on it. As a matter of fact, I, uh, I think it was two weeks ago <clears throat> today, I was cooking a dish and I was using this little a device called a mandolin. I love a mandolin. Uh, not the instrument of music, but an instrument of torture. And as I was slicing you know, zucchini and, and, and slicing squash, I, I got to the squash, and then I noticed something red was on the squash, and I looked over at the squash. And I'm like, did I accidentally slice a tomato? And I'm looking around for the tomato all over the place, and I'm moving stuff, and realized, wow, I, I don't see a tomato anyway, so I'm, I'm like, let me move that out of the way. I'm not sure what that is, right? Then I'm moving, and then I grab another piece of squash, and I look, and it, literally, you can see it yourself if you want to see it today, and I sliced a portion of my finger off. Yeah, it just like sliced straight down. And uh, so anyway, I ended up putting a bandage on it, and... Uh, and it was bleeding a little bit. I had to go to the uh, auto care, uh, care mechanic, and uh, they had a fingertip bandage in which they allowed me to put on. But anyway, uh, I put it on there right, right at the very tip. It's okay now. And, uh, but it just basically protected it and kept the germs from coming in. Figure that out. I told a friend of mine in that story, he said that's why he threw his away. He said he cut his really bad. He just took his next step was to take it and put it into uh, the garbage. Uh, but anyway, but those, uh, those bandages are really, really good because they protect your finger and they uh, help to protect it against uh, future contamination. But you know, bandages, if you keep them on long enough, eventually uh, it feels as if they're almost impossible to get off, especially if you have uh, hair on your arms or your legs or something like that. You try to take a bandage off and just rip it off. Uh, you know, my wife, she loves uh, when I have a bandage on my arm or something like that. She says, you want me to take it off? I said, go right ahead. And she'll just take it and indiscriminately, she just rips it right off. And also the hair out of my arm. But the reason that it sticks, that's because of the adhesive on it. It's designed to stick on your skin and not fall off. That's on purpose. In other words, that band-aid, that bandage, it has a good grip. 
and this is good. This is the way it's supposed to be. It's supposed to grip your skin. Today, we're going to hear a message about getting a grip. Remember when we used to hear people tell other people all the time, years ago, you know, you just need to get a grip. Remember that? In other words, you need to come back to reality. Or you need to, to make sense of your circumstance. Or uh, you need to get things right. In other words, get a grip. Today we will discover why we need to get a grip in our spiritual lives. Brothers and sisters, it's time to get a grip. Turn with me to Philippians chapter 3, verse 12. Philippians 3, verse 12. Here's our first point. Get a grip on yourself because Christ has gotten a grip on you. Get a grip on yourself because Christ has gotten a grip on you. Philippians 3, verse 12. <clears throat> Paul says, Not that I have already obtained this, or am already perfect, but I press on to make it my own, because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Paul tells the Philippians, he says uh, that I need to get a grip because you need to get a grip because we have not reached perfection. We have not made it to the end of the journey, so therefore we need to get a grip. Paul says even with the confidence he has in Christ about what he has gained and and what he counts as rubbish. Remember uh, that Greek word I referred to you last time, that word scubala? Remember, he says he counts it all as rubbish. Paul says that I have not reached that point of perfection. What is that point of perfection? It is uh, uh, that all that he boasted to be in himself, all that he had raised himself up to be, he thought that was perfection. And then when he began to compare that with Jesus Christ, he says, that's not perfection. That's my own self-righteousness. I need something from a higher plane. You see, we all need that perfection and when we arrive to that place, we realize that we will never fall short. For brothers and sisters, you know that in our life, it seems as if we fall short all the time. Sometimes we, uh, we, we think we got it all together, uh, but sometimes we just barely make it. And if we were to stand before God as judge today, we know that we would have no hope. Thank God for Jesus Christ. But also recall the benefits of, again, the boastings of his past. Uh, the boasting of his past in which 
he counted as nothing. Why? In order to gain Christ. Why? Because that includes knowing him, knowing Jesus Christ, and knowing the power of his resurrection. Remember that we want to know the Lord and not just know facts about him. We want to deeply know God and not just facts about him. We want to experience that deep closeness. We need that relationship. So in other words, when the devil uh, attempts to accuse you before God as sinners uh, deserving uh, damnation, uh, we have entered into this relationship uh, to the point that we drop a name. We drop the name of Jesus Christ. When the devil says that they're not worthy to be in heaven, then we say, Jesus Christ, he's my advocate. Then we say, Jesus Christ, he is my redeemer. It's time for God's judgment. Can you drop a name where Jesus says, get away from me, I never knew you. But if you are in Christ, you know that Jesus has your, your back. And these are all uh, the, the benefits uh, for those of us who are found where in Jesus Christ. Paul, he speaks of being in the Spirit, being in Christ, having the Spirit dwelling inside of him. Paul says, though, uh, though I possess these things, though I have the potential of walking in these things, uh, the bottom line is that I do not totally walk in them 24 hours a day. Paul says it's true. I have all of this revelation of the Lord. I know all of this Old Testament, New Testament. I know Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ came to me on that road and he blinded me because of his glory. I know all of this, but yet I do not yet fully walk in the way that he's calling me to live my life. He knows that he hasn't arrived. And I hope you know you haven't arrived either because I certainly haven't. But yet, this perfection that Paul speaks of, this perfection that we all seek for, can only become effectual only by Jesus himself. Hmm. Only God can bring that perfection that he speaks of uh, only in Jesus Christ in our life. But this is one of those places, right, this is one of those places where the original language sheds light on our thinking as the word uh, perfection, my, is in the perfect sense, right? He says here, verse 12, not that I have already obtained this or am already perfect, right? He says here in the perfected sense that it is something that has been brought to completion because of the past. So uh, there was uh, this past act that Jesus Christ had, had made happen through his sacrifice, right? That continues to have uh, ramifications into the future. Remember, uh, uh, the one time I preached the message, when Jesus hung on the cross, remember his final words were uh, to tell his star. Remember what those words were? He says, it 
is finished. There, Jesus spoke, spoke in the perfected or the perfect tense, meaning that the work that he would do would have ramifications all the way into the future. So we who believe in his substitutionary atonement and redemption know it is true because we have been saved due to his work on the cross over 2,000 years ago. That work happened in the past and it impacts us today and will have ramifications for us in the future. You see, if it's only good enough for yesteryear, if it's only good enough for now, then heaven is not a place for us. It must continue to work in all people's hearts for all time. That work is similar to that of the U.S. Constitution, whose laws were started sometime in the points of the past, and it continues to impact the citizens of this nation and government over and over again when people uh, try to figure out what's going on, oftentimes what will they do? They refer back to the U.S. Constitution. The Constitution says this, therefore we need to act like this. So if Jesus did that, therefore we need to act like this. But I also want you to know that when Paul mentions this word perfect, Right? Uh, it's also in the passive voice, right? Or point of view. It's in the passive uh, point of view. In other words, there's three points of views that can be had. Uh, one is the active voice. That's something, for instance, you take an ink pen and you throw it. You actively did it, right? right that's, the, uh, that's the active voice. But there's also this middle voice. So if I threw the pen up and it came down and it hit me on the head, that's the middle voice because that's an action I did that had an impact on me, right? However, here we go. I have my wife do this. So she has this right here. And I'm walking by and she decides to throw that at me. Bang, right? So she throws that at me. I had no part in making this hit myself. It was the action of another that made it hit me. Therefore, uh, here in the passive voice simply means the action that Paul speaks of, it must only happen by another. Just none other than Jesus Christ. It's like going to the grocery store. Someone uh, paying your bill for you. You had nothing to do with that. So when we put all of this together, we realize that uh, ultimately perfection is nothing, uh, nothing that we uh, can accomplish on our own. It must be the work of another. Yet, yet, this didn't stop Paul from pressing on to make it his own, he says, right? Uh, not that I have already obtained this or am already perfect, but I press on to make it my own, he says. Now, he's not working for his salvation, but he's working in agreement with the salvation already at work in himself. He is working through those imperfections. That stubborn sinfulness, those nagging naughties that flare up from time to time, 
Uh, do you know what I'm talking about? Some of you have had that same fight this week. You were fighting with the nagging naughties uh, tempting you to lie. Those nagging naughties attempting you to steal or to cheat or to do otherwise. Uh, you were fighting the nagging naughties uh, not to say those things that you want to say and you know you have no business saying those are the nagging naughties. All of this you know you have not attained and are not perfect yet. Knowing that you have not attained uh, is no excuse for not pressing on into the faith. So why should we get a grip? Get a grip because Jesus has made you his own. Or get a grip because Jesus has gotten a grip on you. So uh, Paul, he presses on because Jesus has made him his own. Uh, Jesus has laid hold of Paul to mark him as a child of the living God. Again, when Paul says, uh, Jesus has made me his own, uh, it, it, it is helpful to think of that in terms of a Christ Jesus has laid hold of. Right? Another way of thinking of that. Being uh, translated as gotten a grip. He's gotten a grip on Paul. So with that in mind, our translation, it's a good way to read it as I press on to make it my own, could be translated as to lay hold of or getting a grip on. Getting a grip on those godly characteristics that we need. Those characteristics that are honorable. Those characteristics that are lovely. Those characteristics that are, that are pure among all other qualities that God calls us to. Get a grip on it, brothers and sisters. Why? Because Jesus has gotten a grip on you. Christ laying hold of us and us laying hold of the possibility of goodness, both are the same basic words. Because of Christ's work uh, in his life, it gives Paul the ability to lay hold of that stubbornness of ungodly characteristics that are persistent and they're hard. Uh, isn't it hard sometimes not to sin? Uh, if you say, no, it's always easy. What, to sin? It's always easy, you know, uh, to sin. Yes, it's easy to sin. It's difficult to hold back. So he has this ability, Paul says, to lay hold of the goodness in himself because of the goodness of Christ uh, that he has shown towards him. And we'll hear more about that in a moment. But outside of Christ, Paul says it's not possible. That if you don't know Jesus Christ, uh, you are living in an impossible situation. Outside of Christ, there is only an appearance of progress, an appearance of goodness, an appearance of doing what's right because of what you perceive in life. You are only walking around with the appearance of things. <laughs> but you, brothers and sisters, are able to get a grip on some of life's most challenging issues in your heart. Why? Because Christ has gotten a grip on you. So here it is. Don't look behind. Remain intensely involved 
and keep your eyes focused on the goal. Here it is again. Don't look behind. Remain intensely involved and keep your eyes focused on the goal. Philippians chapter 3, verses 13 and 14. Paul says here, brothers and sisters, I do not consider that I have made it my own, <clears throat> but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead. I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upper call of God in Christ Jesus. So first, don't look behind. Right, even though uh, Jesus Christ has accomplished his final work, you are not fully walking in it in terms of how you act or how we think or how we feel. Everyone knows this to be true without question. You know it's true. This is an area that we must constantly remind ourselves of. Else we think we are more than what we really are. Trust me, uh, you're not all that. Paul is certainly not some super apostle. <laughs> He's not a super apostle. He's not uh, some super apostle with some super type of giftings that allows him to be better than the next person. This is what he's trying to say. Uh, even in scripture, uh, when Paul mentions these super apostles that are around, when scripture mentions the super apostles as being around, uh, they're using that disparagingly. Uh, they're saying that uh, they're not better than anyone else. That's what he's saying. There's no such thing as super apostle. All right? So he says he needs to continue to grow even with all the revelation that he brings to the church. Paul said, I, I, I've seen all of this. Paul says, I understand the connection between the Old and the New Testament. I get all that, but yet within my own self, I still have issues. My son, he has a shirt that says, cancel my subscription to all of your issues. All of us have issues. All of us have issues. Can you say all? Everybody got issues. And if you don't think you have, uh, give me about 20 minutes and I'll help you work it out. I'll help you work it out. So while we know that, that Paul was previously on the wrong track, uh, maybe he wanted to make sure he didn't place the cart before the horse in terms of his thinking uh, about his spirituality. We see this in his humility as he goes before the council on advice about the circumcision matter. Remember we talked about that last time, a couple of times ago? He could have easily answered that question about circumcision. Remember the mutilation? But he understood that that was not enough. In fact, the body of believers needed others uh, they had a history with, uh, others that walked with Christ to confirm the matter. And they weren't trying to hear that from Paul. So what did Paul do? He submitted himself uh, to the other believers at the Jerusalem council. Acts chapter 15, verse 2. Look at that. Verse 2 and verse 4. Acts 15, beginning in verse 
2. And after Paul and Barnabas had no small dissension and debate with them, Paul and Barnabas and some of the others were appointed to go up to Jerusalem to the apostles and the elders about this question. Remember, the question concerning whether or not if Christians should get circumcised according to the law. Verse 4. When they came to Jerusalem, they were welcomed by the church and the apostles and the elders and they declared all that God had done with them. So in other words, Paul says, you know, I need to submit myself to those above me. Those of you who think that, well, you know what, the idea of hierarchy in the church, it has no place in the church, that we all equal. Yes, we all are equal, but there are also giftings that God has placed or offices that God has placed in the church at the same time. He understood he needed to submit because maybe there was something in himself that he couldn't see. That's important. It's obvious that the believers in Judea were not willing to take his word on it. They said, we're not going to take your word on it. Can you imagine that? Some people telling uh, Paul the apostles, who some think is a super apostle, that we can't even take your word on scripture. Huh. We can't take your word, Paul. Paul says, okay, I try to argue with you as much as I can. We need to go back to a higher uh, a higher authority, and in that case it was the Jerusalem Council. So we must uh, honestly consider ourselves in light of what Paul is saying. Is he saying that we haven't arrived, therefore don't make an effort in your daily walk with the Lord? Is that what he's saying? Paul's writing would definitely disagree with you. You also know from personal experience about the struggles with people in your own life, which delivers disorder in it all the time. The thing we must do is get better. The thing we must do is stay on task. The thing we must do is remain obedient to the higher call of Christ. What does Jesus tell you to do as you listen to these words today? What is he egging on inside of you? There's something. What is God speaking to you about your life today? What is it? Remember, what this is about, this is really not about Paul. This is really about, not about some other church or some other people from thousands of years ago. This is about you. Yes, it is. God is speaking to you. How will you respond? Will you ignore with the hopes that God's grace will simply cover you? It's not enough. Or do you decide to walk in obedience only for a while until your life gets back on, uh, on track uh, and then you turn away again from God? These are the questions, brothers and sisters, that we all must contend with. You must contend with them. I must contend with them. We have no choice. Now here in verse 13, isn't it interesting that Paul, uh, he, he begins right in the midst of this. Verse 13, he says, brothers, speaks to God's children as he pleads with them for conformity to the image of Christ. He refers to them as brothers because, look, he said, we're all in, to, in this together. So when you tell someone, sister, 
Or when you tell someone, brother, that lets them know, that lets you know that, look, we're all into this together. So don't compartmentalize the think this is only for someone else. You must, I must conform to the image of Christ as you see him at work in your life. You must conform to the image of Christ. So, Paul says, speaking of the brothers, that he says that I forget those things that what lies behind. Again, Philippians 3.13, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward for what lies ahead. He says he forgets all those things. But wait a minute. If Paul forgot all the things uh, that were in the past, why do he keep bringing them up? Somehow, one way or another, he manages to bring up the past, doesn't he? Over and over again, oftentimes in many of his epistles, he talks about what happened in the past, what he used to be. It's like having someone say, you know what, I'm not going to even talk about that. You know, I'm not going to even talk about that with you. And he said, you know what, let me go ahead and talk about this with you. But what he means is, uh, Paul says, uh, he doesn't forget, forget as we deem for, uh, to forget something, never to remember again, but he says he chooses to overlook he chooses not to recall the emotional connection to the sinfulness or the self-righteousness that once drove his life. You see, we can choose to remember the things we used to do and the pleasure it gave us while we were doing it. Or we could choose to put them behind us, to overlook them, to say, now uh, I am a new creation, a new creature in Christ. You know how it goes. The more we dwell on something, the more we are more apt to do that very thing. D.H. Lauren asked, why doesn't the past decently bury itself instead of sitting waiting to be admired by the present? There are many commendable accomplishments that you've made in your life, and God bless you for that. And they're worthy of our attention. They're worthy to be recognized. And this is why uh, testimony, what God has done for you, is so important in the body of Christ. Because it encourages us. But Paul wants us to forget the parts of our past that don't have redemptive value. Leave it in the past. Remain intensely involved. Yet, we must strain ahead. We must strain ahead. What comes to mind when you think of straining ahead? Straining never sounds easy, does it? Picture in your mind the weightlifter who strains to pick up 400 pounds or 500 pounds or 600 pounds or seven. I mean, you can see him today uh, trying to deadlift the weight. Ugh! Oh, and sometimes they fail, don't they? They drop them to the ground. And you said to yourself, they're crazy. But then they go at it again, and they're straining. You can see all the veins popping out of their neck and their head, and they're straining, trying to get it up. Uh, Paul is saying that he strains ahead. He's saying it's not like lifting weights, but it's like running a race. 
It's like running a race when you are neck to neck uh, with your opponent and you guys are, uh, it's going to be a tie and you know that you're running and Paul said he's straining ahead. So what he does right when he gets to the finish line, he ducks his head down and he may even uh, take his hand out this way, but he said he strains ahead. That's what the Christian life is about. Making the effort. It's never effortless that we are part of the process. Which are you? Do you like it all easy? Or do you fail but try again? Remember the one singer says, we fall down, but we what? We get up. We fall down, but we what? He says, for the saint, it's nothing more than a sinner who did what? Fell down. But in Christ, we get up. Uh, because Christ allows us to strain ahead. <laughs> you see, for some issues in your life, you will need to make an intense effort to get things right. You will need to strain towards the goodness of God. You will not be able to sit idly by while God does all the work for you. Yes, he redeemed you. Can you say amen? Yes, he puts you on the right path to heaven. Can you say amen? But along the journey, you will have to say the same things about your sinfulness that he says. You must say the same things about your temper that he says. You must say the same thing about your lying that he says. You must say the same thing about your laziness uh, that he says. You must say the same things about your inattention to spiritual matters that he says. Something has got to give, brothers and sisters. But the great thing about this is when you strain towards making things right, uh, the Lord is there to encourage you and to give you the strength towards victory. Amen? 1 Corinthians 15, 57. 1 Corinthians 15, 57. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. So this is what I tell you. Have confidence because the race is already won by God. Amen? But run like it depends on you. Have confidence because the race has already been won by God, but run like it depends on you. I know that uh, sometimes you just want to give up because you don't have any hope. But you can't give up because you see Jesus. Sometimes you just want to say enough is enough, but you can't because Jesus has already declared you the victory. I know it feels like it is the last straw, but the last straw could be the beginning of a lifetime of, of bliss for you in heaven. So don't look at the things with the mind of the flesh. Look at things with the mind of God. Then the metaphors of Scripture continues. Verse 14, Ephesians chapter 3. 
I press on towards the goal for the prize of the upper call of God in Christ Jesus. Verse 15, let those of us who are mature think this way, and if in anything you think otherwise, God will reveal that also to you. Verse 16, only let us hold true to what we have attained. Keep your eyes on the goal. Keep your eyes on the goal. Remain focused. Remain focused on the prize of the call in Christ Jesus. As I mentioned to you before, that when you're cutting the grass, at least in, in my yard, it's big enough that if you don't keep your eye on a fixed point well down the line, that your, your grass will end up all crazy looking. And I don't know about you, but I like my grass to be straight. And when it's not straight, I just get a little, you know, one of those things, right? Right? I, I keep pressing on. Amen? Lord, help me. All right. So anyway, uh, so you know that you have to keep your eyes fixed down the line because if you're looking at your feet or if you're looking at the lawnmower, you end up crisscrossing and doing all other kind of crazy things. So this is what Paul is saying, that when you're running in this race of life and all these struggles are around you, keep your eyes focused on Jesus Christ because when you start looking at all this, ex, ex, uh, this extra material, these people and these circumstances around you, that you're going to get confused. You're going to get messed up in the mind. You're going to get crooked, right? Uh, Jesus says, look to me, right? I am the author and the finisher of your faith. Why are you worried about all the dumb stuff? In life, you can keep your eye on all the problems and all the circumstances that continuously pop up in your life, or you can keep your eye on Jesus. Struggles in life will definitely get you off target if you keep your eye on them, but keeping your eye on Jesus will keep you straight. Can you say amen? Years ago, there was a commercial on television about Band-Aids, bandages. And as you know, most really good commercials, one of the things they, uh, the reason that they last so long is because of a little ditty that goes along with it, a little song that goes along with it. And they play in your head oftentimes years after they were over with. So Band-Aid's song was, I am stuck on Band-Aid. Right? I am stuck on Band-Aid cause Band-Aid. See? You still remember that? Because that, just that little ditty, just that little motif, uh, it, 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 it gets lodged in your head. But I want you to sing a new ditty today. And I ain't talking about P. Diddy. Get a grip on maturity because Jesus got a grip on me. Get a grip on maturity because Jesus got a grip on me. All right, you don't get it? Okay. Get a grip on maturity because Jesus got a grip on me. All right, let's try it again. We're going to make that work. Come on. Come on. Get a grip on maturity because Okay. Oh, man, you got it. Okay, let's do it all together. Let's see the whole thing together now. Get a grip. Ready? Here we go. Go. Get a grip on maturity because Jesus got a grip on me. Amen. Let's pray. Father, in Jesus' name, we thank you so much.